So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The last few days have involved people sharing their favorite memories of Her Late Majesty the Queen. And if William were up here, I'm sure he'd be able to share lots of moments where he had the great fortune of meeting her. I have none. Uh, I was around when she visited the Lloyds Building just across the square and saw this big crowd of people and a red carpet and did not realize what was going on. I uh, walked past and subsequently discovered what I had missed. I say I've never met the Queen. I assume I've never met the Queen. It is possible that I met her and didn't recognize her. Have you heard the various stories of that happening? My favorite is the one relayed by the Queen's former royal protection officer, Richard Griffin. Uh, he, walking with Her Majesty near Balmoral, bumped into a couple of American hikers who were on a walking holiday and apparently didn't recognize the Queen. After uh, talking for a bit about uh, where they were from, they turned to her and said, and where are you from? Well, I live in London, she said, but I do have a holiday home just the other side of the hills. How often have you been coming up here? Well, ever since I was a girl, so 80 years. 80 years? Well, in that case, you must have met the Queen. <laughs> Quick as a flash, she said, well, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly. <laughs> and so they turn to him and say, oh, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And he knew he could wind her up, so he said, well, she can be very cantankerous at times, <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humor. Before he knew it, they put their arms around him, get their camera, and give it to the queen to take a photo of them. 
Well, they, uh, he insists that they swap around and take photos of everyone, and then they wave goodbye without acknowledging what's going on. And as they leave, the queen leant in to him and said, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they show those photos to their American friends, and hopefully someone tells them who I am. <laughs> well, we've had lots of people, haven't we, tell us who the queen is over these last few days. And one of the big things that people have commented on is her faith in Jesus. A few months ago, the historian Robert Lacey pointed out that of all the books written by the queen, there is only one that she chose to write a foreword for, and that is this one, The Servant Queen and the King She Serves, a book all about her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Robert Lacey said, this is a monarch who sees a greater monarch. The queen herself put it like this, for me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability made uh, my personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. And so as we remember Her Majesty this evening, it is right that we remember the God and King who provided a framework within which she chose to live her life. Indeed, I'm reminded of those words that William told us earlier, make sure you tell them about Jesus and not about me, she would say to us. And so we're gonna focus on these verses that were just read to us from the book of Acts, which are in fact a sermon delivered by one of Jesus' closest followers. In fact, we'd always planned to look at these verses this evening, we began a series of talks in this book of the Bible just last weekend and gave it the title, One King to Rule Them All, which was meant to be a Lord of the Rings pun. But actually that title feels so much more relevant this week as we consider the queen and the greater monarch who ruled even her. And whether you are someone who has been profoundly touched by the death of the queen or are quietly carrying on your life as normal, all of us will benefit from thinking about the one king who rules us all and the impact that he made on the life of Her Majesty. We're going to see two things in particular in these verses. And first, she worshipped a God who shows no partiality. The God who shows no partiality. That much is clear from the very beginning of Peter's sermon. If you just turn back to verse 34. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no partiality, no favoritism, no bias. Indeed, if we're familiar with the context of these words, we'll know just how significant that sentence is. Peter is in front of a centurion and his family, a someone who, verse one of the chapter tells us, was part of the Italian cohort. In lots of ways, he's similar to other people who had become Christians at this point, except that he's very clearly Roman, someone who did not belong to Jesus' own people, the Jews. And for Peter, he assumed that meant that he should have nothing to do with him. Any Roman person, any non-Jew, was considered unclean. Certainly not the sort of person that God would be interested in. And yet this chapter, which I'd encourage you to read later, is at pains to show Peter that he's wrong. 
What God has made clean, do not call common, he's told. Peter himself says in verse 28, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter had assumed some sort of partiality on the part of God, but he was wrong. God shows no partiality. In fact, the queen herself put it so well a few years ago, God's love is for everyone. There is no one beyond its reach. It's no wonder then that the reign of the queen had such an international flavor. I was listening to an interview of an old Commonwealth secretary who described her almost encyclopedic knowledge of the Commonwealth nations, that she was at a reception of lots of cabinet secretaries from all these different countries. And she was able to hold intelligent conversation about the current affairs of each nation. Many over the last few days have quoted her commitment in 1947 that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Uh, Yesterday I got hold of the Times and on the back there is this quote from her in 1957. She said, I cannot lead you into battle. I do not give you laws or administer justice, but I can do something else. I can give you my heart and my devotion to these old islands and to all the peoples of our brotherhood of nations. The queen had an international commitment. And yet it is here in the generous love and impartiality of God that she found her inspiration. As she said back in 2014, Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people. In a world that's filled with partiality and divisions, the queen had a way of valuing all people, which many have been celebrating over these last few days. And in doing so, she pointed us to the impartial God that she worshiped, a God who cares for every single person, a God who has no favorites. It's a tragedy that that many of us have not been as good as the queen at demonstrating how all-encompassing the love of God is. And maybe we give the impression that he is exclusive, unsympathetic, discriminatory even. Let me say, if anyone has given you that impression about God, well then hear this clearly. As the queen put it, God's love is for everyone. There is no one beyond its reach. Or as Peter says in verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But the second thing that we need to see is the way that impartiality works its way out. Because as these verses show us, God's impartiality expresses itself in a particular way. It expresses itself by offering peace to all. And that is the second thing we need to see. The God who shows no partiality and the king who offers peace to all. Uh, Turn with you to verse 42. Verse 42, just towards the top of the page there. Peter says, and Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him 
receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he reveals here the commission that he received from Jesus before he left, to proclaim the lordship of Jesus, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. God is impartial because he wants this news to be proclaimed to everyone. But so far, it probably doesn't sound a lot like peace. I've said it's a message of peace, but well, this actually sounds much more like a message of judgment, doesn't it? A warning that our wrongdoing does not go unnoticed. He is the one appointed to be judge of the living and the dead. Maybe you saw on Friday when the prime minister, standing in the center of St. Paul's Cathedral, read from Romans that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. She's right. And if that is all that Jesus' lordship meant, it would be momentous news, but it would be surely terrible news for us. If you are anything like me, you'd be glad if that, well, if you didn't have to hear that proclamation. And yet the message goes on, verse 43, to him, All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And there you can see why it is news of peace. Because though we are rebels against God, though every one of us rightly deserves his judgment, he offers us in Jesus a way to be forgiven, to have peace with him. The queen herself put it like this, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. Forgiveness, she says, lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It is the news that anyone can be forgiven. Anyone can be put in the right with God, given a sure hope of peace, of eternal life with him. It is the best news, the best offer that anyone could receive. And the point of these verses is that that offer is extended to anyone. God shows no partiality. He wants everyone to hear that offer. To Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, God shows no partiality. His offer of forgiveness is available to you. At midday yesterday, just down the road, the accession proclamation was read from the Royal Exchange. It's not that far from where I live, I found out a little bit late, but decided to cycle as quickly as I could from Mile End. Found some bike racks that were conveniently empty because there was a sign saying, don't park your bike here. (laughs) And left my bike in order to run down to bank. The Clarence Sue King of Arms, Timothy Duke, announced to thousands of us that Elizabeth II had died and that the crown had passed to the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George. And as I lifted up my smartphone to join the canopy of phones that was recording the event, uh, to take a panoramic photo of everybody there, 
One of the things I was struck by was the international nature of that crowd. Some of them were tourists, others from around the world who've made their home in London, but all of them, without distinction, able to hear the news that King Charles III was king. I went because I wanted to be a part of history, but it turns out it's a very convenient illustration of this talk from Peter. Before this point in the Bible, the focus of God's saving news had been Israel. As Peter says in verse 39, Jesus had been operating in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And so a centurion, a Roman no less, would have little opportunity to hear of the forgiveness that Jesus had to offer. But captured for us in the pages of Acts is the moment when that news breached the dam, when the audience hearing the news of Jesus' kingship was expanded to cover the whole world. And unlike yesterday's accession proclamation, Jesus' kingship changes everything. The news that King Charles III is king, it is a significant moment in history. But the news that Jesus is king means that forgiveness is available to all the world. To Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And I take it that is why the queen was so unashamed to identify with Jesus Christ. Indeed, why she, the queen, who should have been the person proclaimed, took on the role of proclaimer. Why she said, make sure that you, make sure that you preach about Jesus, not about me. Why so many of her recent Christmas Day uh, messages were focused on the Lord Jesus. The Archbishop of Canterbury has described her as England's greatest evangelist because she was someone who recognized the kingship of Jesus and realized it was news for everyone and took the opportunity that she had to reach a global audience. Maybe you've heard those Christmas messages over the last few years and been struck by the hope that she speaks of in Jesus, but the new year has quickly crowded out any chance of doing anything about it. I guess there will be people here who haven't yet accepted the peace that is offered in Jesus. Well, if that's you, let me suggest there is a reason why the Queen reminded you of it year on year. God shows no partiality. He extends his offer to you. If you want to hear more about it, please come along on Wednesday to hear more about the small groups and the opportunity to find out about Jesus. Or if you're a student, come along the week afterwards to a building around the corner where we'll do something similar. And for those of us who do know peace with God, who have embraced Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, when I think this passage is an important challenge to our view of God, I wonder, do we really believe in an impartial God, one who offers his good news to all, one whose love is for everyone, that there's no one beyond its reach? Or have we started to believe that there are those who are just slightly beyond his reach? Are those that he might even be disinterested in? Have we introduced no-go areas that cause us to hold back from sharing the message with some? Yesterday afternoon, Timothy Duke got to proclaim to an audience of thousands from around the world that King Charles III is king. 
But if you are a Christian here, you have been given the opportunity to proclaim that Jesus Christ is King. Uh, To follow in the footsteps of Peter and of Her Majesty in proclaiming to all without barriers, without partiality, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's a question worth asking, isn't it? Do we really believe in an impartial God? Will have been embarrassing for those American hikers when they got home, won't it? I'd like to be a fly on the wall when they got told because they failed to recognize Her Majesty the Queen. They mistakenly obsessed with that royal protection officer and missed the one that he served. But it is an even greater mistake to obsess over the Queen and to miss the one that she served. She was a monarch who saw a greater monarch, one who pointed to the Lord Jesus and to the peace that he offers to all. And she is now enjoying that peace for herself. Just as we've been singing for 70 years, God has saved the queen. She is with him in glory. But it's not because of the great things that she did. It's not because she is royalty, but on the same grounds that he will save any one of us because she recognized the Lord Jesus and she put her trust in him. She is in glory now. And any of us can join her in the glory of the Lord Jesus. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Even as we're in a period of national mourning, here is a message of real hope. And it is a message of hope for the world. The Queen concluded her 2018 Christmas broadcast like this. The Christmas story retains its appeal since it doesn't provide theoretical explanations for the puzzles of life. Instead, it is about the birth of a child and the hope that birth 2,000 years ago brought to the world. Only a few people acknowledged Jesus when he was born. Now, billions follow him. I believe his message of peace on earth and goodwill to all is never out of date. It can be heeded by everyone. It is needed as much as ever. Amen.